Amen. Turn to Exodus chapter 20. Dad, you're fired up tonight. What did you drink before you came to church? I like it, man. I like when you're home too. He's my hype man. I love it. It's good stuff, man. Appreciate your love for the Lord, Dad. Your enthusiasm is awesome. Exodus chapter 20. And uh, we are in this series on the Ten Commandments. So we're going to continue to plow our way through this and study this one tonight that I'm, I'm excited about us understanding, I hope, on a deeper level and what it means for our life. Exodus 20, verse number 7. Would you read it out loud with me together? Exodus chapter 20, verse number 7. Ready? Begin. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. One of the first duties of parents is to name their children. Now, this can be quite a task. Sometimes the parents can make lists and uh, sometimes they search for baby names online. Sometimes they want a simple name like Bob or Hank or Huck or Leroy. Just, just the name of an 85-year-old man on the golf course, you know? Just one of those. John Smith. And then sometimes they want a name that, well, nobody else has or something they've read in a book like St. Augustine or Liberty. Or these unique names are, are the little baby back there crying in Courtney's arms. Arlo. Is that his name? See, if it was John Smith, I'd remember. (laughs) Parents go to link sometimes, right? And I love it. I love it. I really do. Because when parents name a child, whether it's a Hank or whether it's an Augustine, right? When When they name a child, it means something to them. Like they think through that. Unfortunately, Jenny's dad, who was a pastor for several decades, passed away of cancer. A couple years before Kevin was born. And so we tried to get pregnant for about four and a half years and finally did. And, and man, we didn't even, you know, most people, when they say, hey, what do you want a boy or a girl? They just kind of give the political answer. We just want a healthy baby. Uh, well, we said we want a boy. Like we really did. That was the desire of our heart. And if God didn't give us a boy, we weren't going to like, you know, keep our receipt and return it or anything like that. But I mean, we would accept it reluctantly. We'd accept a girl, but we would learn to love it. Um, but we wanted a boy and, and truly, sincerely, like I, I've coached Kevin, I've enjoyed those like things that you do with a boy or whatever. Um, but we wanted a boy because of what we knew we wanted to name it. We wanted to name it after Jenny's dad, whose name was Kevin. And, and that, so it didn't even take us much thought, just a lot of prayer to get the right sex of baby to be able to, to name it what we named it. And I won't forget, you know, dad, you guys are in there. Uh, were you in there with us? I think you were in there with us. And we found out it was a boy, which I thought was a little weird that, that my dad was in there during this thing. But um, he, listen, he's my hype man. He just shows up. He just shows up. I've, I've preached out places and I looked out and my dad's sitting out there. He's just my hype guy. I love it. I love it. But he was in, the, in that room with us when they were figuring out the sex of the baby. And, you know, Dr. K, I don't know if he still has these ancient machines that he had when uh, Jenny was, was pregnant, but... Um, he, he typed in there, I think it was just the letter B or whatever. Diane was, was in there. Um, and I mean, the whole church was in there 
and uh, um, <laughs> it was just a family reunion. Fellowship families invited. Come on. It's like a potluck. Um, anyway, we're in there. And, and that, that little letter B came on to signify it was a boy. And I mean, we like verbally cheered. That's how happy we were. But naming our son Kevin meant a lot to us. Um, the one thing is certain is, is that parents get to do the naming. Right? We don't come into this world naming ourselves. Our names are not given. That are, are they're given. They're not chosen. So if you think about it, naming a child is actually the first way that parents exercise their authority over the child. Well, by contrast, one of the remarkable things about God is that no one has ever named him. Now, people have come up with some false names for God. But God's true name is actually chosen and revealed by himself. We don't tell God who he is. He tells us who he is. Like God has his own naming rights. That's a sign of the fact that he is a sovereign authority. So we're going to talk about this command that I really feel defends the honor of who God is. The honor and the holiness of God's name. So I want to start with Roman numeral number one, the meaning of this command, the meaning of the command. Something interesting about this command is that unlike the first two commands, here in the third command, I want you to notice this, God refers to himself in the third person. So rather than saying, thou shalt not take my name in vain, God says, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. See that? He does that to draw attention to his covenant name. This was a name God revealed long before the Israelites got to Mount Sinai in Exodus 20. He actually revealed his name to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Let's read that. Verse 14 and 15. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. That's his name. Moses asked him, God, who are you? Who do I tell Pharaoh that you are? Tell him this, I am that I am. And he said, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am that sent you. And God said, moreover unto Moses, thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. The name God revealed was his personal name. We would call it Yahweh. Literally, it means this. I am who I am. It speaks of God's self-existence. It speaks of God's self sufficiency and as events would unfold it also would testify to his saving power so as we start to unpack the meaning of god's name it's going to become obvious that it's actually more than just a name only i want you to get this it's god's entire identity so when we use the name of god we're referring to the essence of his divine being god's name represents god's entire reputation does that make sense and this isn't unique to God. Like, like, for instance, if, if someone tells you that they went to a family reunion and they said, hey, I saw a lot of new faces at the family reunion last weekend. Well, you wouldn't assume that they saw faces disconnected from bodies. Right? You would use the term face to refer to an entire person. In the same way, God's name represents his person. 
His whole identity. That's why David sang in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. He's speaking of who God is and how he's known. He doesn't simply mean that God's name sounds nice. Oh man, that's a cute name. That's not what he means. What a God is what he means. And Israel, who God is writing this to, should have known this by now that God's name is more than just a name. You know how? Based on what God had done in their lives. It should have been clear to them that God's name communicated his glory in creation. His glory in redemption. Should have been clear to them by now that that, that God's name deserved much reverence. See, God's name to Israel should have been what my wife's name is to me. Based on everything that Jenny's done in my life and for my life and continues to do so, I'm just telling you, her very name brings good thoughts to my mind. And the same thing should be, have been true with the children of Israel who were brought out of slavery by God. The very name Yahweh should have meant so much to them. It should have sparked so much awe and fear and respect. And reverence, but I'm afraid that over time, it just became a name. Now, to be clear, God's people weren't forbidden to use his name entirely. God wants us to speak his name. In the Old Testament, his name is used all over the place. What God forbids in this command, this is important, is the misuse of his name. To be specific, when it says we aren't to use his name in vain, it's saying that we aren't to use his name in an empty way. In a meaningless way. The the abuse God has in mind here is speaking of his name flippantly or carelessly or thoughtlessly as if he didn't even matter or exist at all or he was just a common person. I believe this is profanity in the true sense of the word. To treat something holy as though it's common. To dishonor God's name in any way to... To, 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 to belittle or, 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 or to, uh, what's the word I'm, I'm thinking of, uh, denigrate his holiness. It's a way of saying to God, if his name represents his entire person, then taking his name in vain is basically saying he's worthless. It's saying that he doesn't mean much. Now, how did this happen for the Israelites? How did they violate this command? This is important. I won't go over it entirely, but just three basic ways. Number one, through false religion. In the, in, the, in the ancient world, many people believed they could gain access to supernatural power by using these divine names and, and these magical incantations. So the Israelites weren't to treat God's names like the pagans use their deities' names. That's in Deuteronomy 18. You could go to Jeremiah 14... And see that it also showed up in false prophecy. That God's name was was used in connection to these false prophets. This was an attempt to use God's name to advance a prophet's own agenda. Study that in John 14. I mean, Jeremiah 14. And this still happens today as recent so-called Christian prophets embarrassed the name of Christ by their failed electoral predictions in 2020. Friend, that's taking God's name in vain. Then there's false oaths. You'll read about this in Leviticus 19. There were those who who would persuade others they were telling the truth in court or in business by taking oaths in Yahweh's name. 
and then proceeding to lie. And by the way, that's done probably on a daily basis in our courthouses in America today. People that put their hand on a Bible swear in Yahweh's name. They will tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And then they don't speak the truth. That's a false oath. It's wrong. And by the way, it doesn't happen in the courthouse alone. Also happens when, when we say something like, hey, I swear to God that I... When we do that, not only is that a flippant way to use a holy God's name, but if there's no follow-through to that, if our, if our yay is not yay and our nay-nay, and God's name is attached to those oaths and those promises, then that is taking the name of God in vain. Now, those are Old Testament examples. Let me give you a pretty intense New Testament example. Turn to Acts 19. You got your Bible? If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. If you, if you don't have your Bible, you have permission, students, to look on the screen. But if you have your Bible, I really want you to turn there. It keeps you a little more engaged. Acts 19. Now look at verse 11 through 16. You say, Pastor Tyler, why are you giving us an example of disobedience? I want to dive in a, in a deeper way than what, into these individual commands than what you're going to get maybe out of your Bible reading. So you're just going to read through these one at a time and you're going to understand, don't take the name of the Lord's God in vain. You'll give it a little bit of thought. But I, I want to do a more exhaustive study. So this isn't a waste of time. This isn't me trying to make my sermon longer. This is me trying to, to kind of wrench out or squeeze out every bit we can out of these verses. Acts 19 verse 11. Look at this story. I'll read it then explain it. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought into the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus. They tried to do what Paul did, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered, said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, (laughs) but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped, and, and the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them. This is a rough day. So that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <clears throat> Come on, man. Can, do you not, is that not entertaining to you? I mean, don't activate your mind's eye. That might not be healthy for everyone in here, but this is awesome. Who said the Bible was boring? This is incredible. But it's actually rather serious. Because these men were watching Paul's ministry carefully and noticed whatever he, uh, whenever he performed miracles, he did it in the name of Jesus. So they reasoned, well, if Paul could use it, well, we're going to say what Paul said. Because it's in a magical formula. However, the, that didn't quite work out the way they hoped. They misused God's name. They employed it to perform magic tricks for their own gain. And here's what happened. God didn't hold them guiltless. Isn't that what the third command says? That God will not hold you guiltless for taking his name in vain. He allowed them to get the beating they deserved. And be humiliated. Ran away naked. Perhaps the most significant part of the story, though, is what happened next. Verse 17. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. 
God preserved the honor of his name by refusing to allow anyone to manipulate him. God demonstrated his supreme sovereign authority. He showed he was nothing like the demonic pagan gods who could be controlled. He alone would decide who would perform a miracle. And he only did it with the apostles and their associates who represented Jesus Christ in the early day of the Holy Spirit's work. What happened to these men served only to enhance God's reputation. Some and many got the point that Christ was Lord over every other God. His name was above all names. And then the story ends in this thrilling way. Uh, Verse 18. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which uh, used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them. Before all men, this reminds me of times at camp and that we, we would like have these fires when we came home and we'd all throw our rock and roll CDs in the fire. You know what I mean? Now, I didn't because I never had any of those because my dad was very narrow minded. Um, but all my friends would, you know, bring like Backstreet Boys and and uh, 98 degrees and uh, who are the homeboys back then? NSYNC. Um, Britney Spears, y'all, and uh, Destiny's Child. Don't go chasing water. You know, uh, anyway, um, I, I, that was, I didn't even rehearse that. That just came on me right there when it burned them. Be, they burned all their books like it's like a CD burning party. Burn the ACDC. Get rid of it. I love it. Oh, man. Thunderstruck's good, though. Anyway, 19. And they counted the price of them. And found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So I like this in all seriousness. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. This example makes it clear, church, how serious that God is about us taking his name in vain. He won't hold us guiltless. I love how Gary North provides this helpful analogy. It's on the screen. It's lengthy, but I think it's really, really clever. He says one way for a modern American to begin to understand this commandment is to treat God's name as a trademark property. In order to gain widespread distribution for his copyrighted repair manual, the Bible, and also to capture greater market share for his authorized franchise, the church, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood, however, that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the unauthorized misuse of the supremely valuable property. All trademark violations will be prosecuted to the full limits of the law. The prosecutor, judge, jury, and enforcer is God. So I hope you're getting this sense of how serious this command is to God. He will not let the violators of this command go guiltless. In other words, they won't go unpunished. Now, the punishment may vary, but God will chastise those who willfully break the third command in persistence. With that, with that in mind, let's shift a little bit to that third Roman numeral about thinking about Christ in the third commandment. How does this command apply to those of us who are in Christ? And I hope you're in Christ tonight. I really hope that. How does this apply to us? Does it change at all? Does it intensify at all? How does this apply? Well, as the account next demonstrates, there's a clear connection between honoring God's name and in the gospel of Jesus Christ. As, as Christ is made known and lifted up, people come to him for salvation. On that grounds, I would say for the believer today, The third commandment is not less important, but devil important. Not only, number one, is it the lawful thing to do, but when we do it, sinners can believe and be saved. Did you get that? So we shouldn't take the name of the Lord God in vain. We should aim to honor his name. And when we honor his name, 
It's by the name of Jesus that all men are saved. And so it's actually more important today, devilly important, not because the Bible says we shouldn't take the name of God in vain, but through actually obeying this command, other people come to faith. So it's very, very important. Let me, let me bear that out. Since we're Christians, it does say we, we, we bear the very name of Christ. I'm excited to preach out of Acts 4 this coming Sunday. And, and we'll touch on verse 12 where, where Peter talks about the name of Christ. And, and it's by that name that all men are saved, right? Uh, when we, re, we re even received his name, if you're in Christ and you've been baptized, you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. You bore his name in baptism. Paul told the Corinthians, remember, they were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 Corinthians 5, 17 uh, through 21 tells us that we're ambassadors for Christ. So we don't simply just know God, but we represent God to the world. We're ambassadors for his name. That means this is so important that the very name of Christ is associated with everything those who are in Christ do. Our reputation is a reflection on his reputation. So we should always make it our aim to honor his name. Make it our aim to honor his name. But let's, let's get down where the rubber meets the road. How do we violate this command? We know we ought to bear his name well. We know we're ambassadors for Christ. We've been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. It's by the name of Jesus that we've come to faith. How do we mess up on this? Well, a couple ways. Number one, using God's name as a swear word. Now, the third command involves more than this, and we're going to talk about that. But, but it doesn't involve less than this. I, I think today many people, when they're frustrated, use the name Jesus or Christ or God as kind of an explanation point. I would say that that qualifies as taking the name of the Lord in vain. It, it's taking God's name, which is holy, and making it common. Amen. Using it flippantly. Right? As though I would, I would, you know, be like to my son, Kevin. Emphatically, Kevin. What are you doing, Kevin? That's common. That's okay. But to say that in God's name? That's not good. I don't want to like be too narrow, but I think this is fair. As Christians, we really need to watch our language. Not only in straight up cursing, but, and this is convicting to me, but in profanity light. Profanity light. And we can say even in jest sometimes, bless God, our good Lord, our Lord have mercy. I swear to God. Well, you might say, oh, Brother Tyler, you're just overreacting. Well, if, if you wouldn't even, if you don't think that's a direct violation of the third commandment, I would at least hope you would admit that's not a good habit. Because, because it gets you into the mindset of taking such a holy name and using it like you would talk about your child or your friend. Or somebody on TV. And then if you keep talking that way about God, you might actually start thinking that way about him. And you've got to be super careful. On top of that, we are called to be salt and light. And so when we get angry 
there should be a marked difference in what comes out of our mouth as compared to our coworker who's lost. And, and, and this would be a way that we, we could do that. Um, number two, using God's name to advance our own agenda. I think that's a way of taking God's name in vain. Some Christians say this rather easily. Well, the Lord told me to do this as a way to manipulate other people. I'm here to tell you, we shouldn't use the subjective work of the Holy Spirit as a way to advance ourselves over other people. Christians, I think, also carelessly misinterpret Scripture to claim God sides with them. To give authority to their plans and their ideas and and their political views and their decisions. Listen, using God as a mascot... To support our preferred political views or to affix his approval on some other, pers- other position we have. That can confuse who God is with how we want to use him for our own good. We'll sometimes hear God's name at the beginning of an event. A sporting event. An interview. Receiving an award. A parade. A board meeting. We'll hear it at the end maybe. In a benediction. But it seems like sometimes when God's name is spoken at the front or at the end, his name is often left out in the program in between. Right? An actor receiving a reward. And the first thing he says, I want to thank my father and God in heaven. From a movie that takes God's name in vain. Or that propagates things that are contrary to the word of God. An athlete. After winning a Super Bowl. Well I want to thank God. And I, I am thankful. In a, in, you know I'm, I, I'm glad he's thanking God. To the extent that he recognizes there is a God. To, to the extent that he recognizes that God has given me this talent. But what about when you were cussing at the ref 30 minutes ago? What about when you slept with the girl in the last hotel you stayed at? You get what I'm saying? We just can't flippantly toss God's name around. I think this is nothing short of identity theft. It's a gross misuse of God's name. And I want to show you why I think this is true. Because Satan did this in the garden. To advance his agenda. A blatant example of using God's name in vain occurred in the Garden of Eden. You know the story. Satan wanted to tempt Adam and Eve into disobeying God. And you know how he started? With these words. Yea, hath God said. Notice the devil didn't have any problem bringing up God's name. In fact, he knew he wouldn't get very far with Adam and Eve if he left God out of the discussion. So he invoked God's name in a way that supported his own desires and advanced his own agenda. He used God's name in vain. Pastor Tony Evans helped me see this truth in Genesis chapter 2. That God was referred to as the Lord God 11 times in relation to humanity in Genesis chapter 2. 11 times in relation to humanity, which is a combination of two names. All caps, Lord Jehovah and God, Elohim. I hope you're following this. Elohim, the name of God used in Genesis 1, points to God as creator, while Jehovah points to his relational authority over mankind. 
You get what I'm saying? So he wanted, God wanted to reveal himself as both the sovereign creator, like I am transcendent over man. While at the same time, I love man. I want a relationship with man. Now, here's what's interesting. When Satan mentioned God, he only used uh, the name of Elohim. Genesis 3, 1, he said unto the woman, God said, you should not eat of every tree of the garden. He dropped the name that spoke of God's relational authority over people because he wanted to define God on his own terms to support his own agenda for his own purpose. He wanted to paint God as just a rule-making God and not a relational and loving God in hopes that he would breed rebellion in Adam and Eve's heart. Do you get this? So whenever we use God's name to further something that we think is right, we are actually being satanic in nature. We are using a demonic uh, method to make ourselves look like we're right or to manipulate other people. It's just not, not good. Number three, how do we take God's name in vain? Well, using God's name carelessly in worship. We don't always recognize, let's admit it, his true glory when we come to worship in his house. Our focus wanders while we pray. Our eyes glaze over scripture as as the word is opened before us. Our worship can sometimes be casual and careless and insincere. And to the degree this happens, I believe we dishonor God's name. That's why I want to be very, very careful, church. That, that we keep our worship reverent. Are you with me? Yes, I think, our, I, think, I think worship can have energy. I think worship can have expression. I think worship can have life. But worship should never be worldly. Worship should never be me-centered. Worship should never be emotionally driven and worship shouldn't be just so casual that it almost feels like you're just walking into a stadium. Do you get what I'm saying? I, this is just a standard I keep and I don't, I don't think churches that do this are completely wrong. I, I just think this is what's best for our church. It's, thing, it, it's something that, that I, I prefer to make sure that we, make, we send the message that when we come into God's house that it is a sacred time of corporate worship. Like I don't want to spring in our coffees in here. Right? And, and, and that's, again, if, if that's another church's culture, I'm not out to, to, to you know, say that they're sinful and all this stuff. We can have that debate later. That's not the point of this statement. The point of the statement is I pastor Fellowship Baptist Church. And I really am concerned that we would make our worship, our approach to corporate worship, really, really just casual. Like what we do even on a Wednesday night, and I know it can be more informal. I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely okay with the culture that to the degree that it still stay reverent though. Are you with me? Like, it's not like just, just coming to church and bring your coffee and your Snickers bar and, and we're going to clap and we're going to shout and, and we're going to get hyped and man, this is amazing. That's no, that just, I'm not saying there can't be energy and there can't be life, but 
And we have a coffee shop. I'm just saying that we can't get careless. Right? And so I'm going to be super careful. And I think you ought to train your kids, by the way. To be super careful that when it's church time, we're worshiping the Lord. And so if we come in and we just really get too casual, and I know that's subjective because casual means different for different cultures and different towns and different people. And so our rules aren't, you need to hear this, I'm not making a rule for a bunch of other towns or churches or cultures. I just know where God's leading me, here. We just want to make sure to, to, to not get too casual here. Um, number four, using God's name hypocritically. That would be my last point and then we'll wrap it up. There's a couple ways we do this. Number one, to say you're a Christian, but not really be a Christian. That might be the most serious way you can take God's name in vain. Matthew chapter 7, many will stand before God. Not a few. Many will stand before God and say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out many devils? Didn't I do many wonderful works? And the Lord will look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. The most serious way that anybody under the sound of my voice tonight can take God's name in vain is to be a fake Christian. To act and sing and, and try to behave in a way that that's, says you're saved, but you know inside of your heart you are not believing and repenting of your sin. And that's serious, folks. And I, I want to go on the record to say, I really believe, on the authority of God's word, and we'll study this in Acts in a couple weeks, that there are lost church members. And I am the last person, you know my testimony of wrestling with my salvation for 10 years, not knowing if I was saved or not, and it was miserable for me. And you pray for, pray for my son. He's struggling a little bit with that. Would you pray for Kevin? Don't talk to him about it. Just pray for him. That would be a blessing. Seriously. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to, um, man, I, I get emotional about this. I don't want to spark doubt. But at the same time, I, I don't want to take for granted that because your name is on the roll. That you really know Jesus. I don't want to take for granted. It might be you that you're resting in something your grandmother told you you did. Or, or you just, you just said a, a kind of a mindless prayer. And, and there wasn't a genuine sense of, of repentance. Like you didn't even know what you were turning from. You didn't fully understand God's authority in your life. You didn't understand the depravity of your own soul. If that's you tonight, I really want to invite you to Jesus Christ. To where you know him and he really knows you. I don't want, I don't want to spark doubt, but I, I, want, it's, I, I think it's okay every once in a while for us to evaluate the sincerity of our faith. It's also possible to be a true Christian, which I I imagine most of you are, and still live a two-faced kind of life, isn't it? One way in church, one way out of church. Well, because we're ambassadors for Christ, we have to be so careful about our decisions and our actions and our attitudes and our words and and our, our social media posts and how they reflect on the name of Christ.
have that reflect on the name of your church. Well, his church. We got to think through that. I really want to encourage you in these practical small areas like like how you treat your boss or how you treat your employees. Treat them like Christ would treat them. Seriously, that is in Colossians. You are working in the name of Jesus. You're an ambassador. And so I know things at work can be frustrating and policies can be unfair and, and, and environments can be toxic and oppressive. But you need to make sure that your attitude is, is governed by the Holy Spirit of God to where there is a marked difference in your words and in your attitudes in the work environment. You get what I'm saying? You need to make sure of that because your reputation um, affects how people see God. Um, another practical way, if I could help you, just pay your bills. I know hard times come up and I know things are out of our control. And I know agreements can be made and we can work through things ethically. But a chronic pattern of not paying your bills in a small town. You understand that that's a reflection on, on God's name. If people know you're in Christ. And be very, very careful about that. Again, I don't know your situation, so I'm not. I'm not saying that if you're struggling with your bills tonight that you're a bad reflection on God's name. You might very well be in a situation where you're trying your best to get out of a a financial difficulty. And I have not just sympathy, I have empathy for those kind of things. I want to pray for you through that and God can provide for you through that. But I'm talking about just a a chronic habit. And and there are a lot of Christians that, that find themselves on these lists that our county puts out. And, you know, nosy people read those things. They're the ones that have scanners on their nightstands. So we've got to be careful about, about our name being viewed in a bad light. Some things are out of control, aren't they? They are out of our control. And sometimes our name is just going to be misunderstood and misrepresented. And, and we can't do nothing about those things. God knows those things. But don't put yourself in situations where your name and your reputation um, can be a bad reflection on God's name, reputation. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so let's work towards that, church. Not just so that your last name can be protected. More importantly, so God's name can be protected. Listen, my last name's Prater. I, I really care about that last name. I don't want to do things or say things that would cause my dad and mom to be embarrassed. I want to do things or say things that would be a bad reflection on my sister and Kelby or their business. Well, if, if, if you know Tyler, I'm not shopping there. Like, I care about my last name. And I'm the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church. You better believe I care about the name of this church. And I don't want to say something to an umpire who's doing a bad job in a way... That, that they would say, you're the pastor of Fellowship Baptist Church? Right, Potsy, I'm decent at that. I'm not great at that, but I'm, I'm decent at it. But it takes a lot of self-control. So I, I don't want to post something or share something on social media impulsively or emotionally that would cause somebody who, who, who's in stark disagreement with me to look and say, that pastor is just so opinionated. 
I want to be careful about not putting myself in those situations. But you know what I had to care about the most? The name of a holy God. More than the Praetor name. More than Fellowship Baptist Church. Which, by the way, isn't the sign with our name on it amazing? Good night. I love that. If you ever thought I was going to take Baptist off the name, you know I'm not going to. I just spent a lot of money on that sucker. It's a great name. Fellowship Baptist Church, that just, that brings so much delight to me. That name means so much to me. But the name of God, that's why I don't want to ever mess up in my marriage. It's the name of God. That's why I don't want to get angry and scream at someone that's going 20 miles an hour down Persian. God, God's name. That's why I don't want to do something immoral. Not just because I don't want to disqualify myself as a pastor. But because of God. God who's delivered me from bondage. God who saved my soul. God who speaks to my heart through his word every day. God who preserves me. Who sustains me. Who provides for me. Who comforts me. The God who will take me to heaven. My wife, I love her, but she'll never take me to heaven. This church will never take me to heaven. God has taken me to heaven. And I want His name to be great among liberal Kansas. I want His name to be great on those non-profit boards that I serve on. I want His name to be great in Little League Baseball. I want his name to be great at the restaurant. I want his name to be great when I'm driving down the street. That means I must bear his name with wisdom and with grace and with, and, and with carefulness. I cannot be flippant in how I behave or how I speak because I'm an ambassador. When I got dunked in that water, I made a profession that I am bearing the name of Jesus. And I'm going to be careful doing it. So I think the right response is, let's just all pray together. Come to an altar, pray where you are, whatever. But let's pray. God, help me this week to bear your name carefully. Help me to be a good ambassador. Help people to look at the way I love my wife, the way I love my husband, the way I treat people, the way I respond to difficult situations, help people to see God in me and help me not to do anything that would come across as taking God's name in vain. Amen? Stand.